I'm DB, a.k.a. Danielle Bezalow, and I'll be your host for the next six episodes of this podcast and beyond. Sex. Birth control. Bondage, domination, sadism, and masochism. Everyone took the condoms, blew them up in the hallway. Conversations about STI and safer sex did not happen. My first time I saw a condom, I was 20 years old. Never do anything that doesn't feel right to you. Otherwise, you're not consenting. I don't even know about a penis's anatomy. I want to be someone who talks more about it openly to degrossify it. So there we were. <laughs> Starting a sex ed club. <laughs> Welcome to Sex Ed with DB, an intersectional feminist podcast for folks who want to hear real stories from five Bay Area voices as we try to revolutionize the way we talk about sex. This is our last episode, episode six. Kink and flirting, a kink and flirting, a kick, 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 Good. BDSM stands for bondage and discipline, dominance and submission, sadism and masochism. BDSM doesn't always involve whips and chains. It doesn't even have to involve sex. And it's not spontaneous like pop culture makes it out to be. BDSM encounters or scenes involve a lot of talking beforehand. Informed consent is a requirement and people in the BDSM community aren't all messed up. You probably know some people in the community and would never realize because there's no defining feature that separates them from everyone else. Welcome to the last episode of the podcast. Did you think we would make it this for season one? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you think we would make it this far towards the end? Great. We did it. And we did it. Remember, this is Ivy Chen a sexuality professor at SF State who has been teaching sex ed in the Bay for over 20 years. Talking about flirting a little bit, um, what have you noticed in, you know, teaching students and kind of in your own life experiences, what like really common, fun ways there are to flirt? Uh, don't use cheesy lines, right? Like if I could rearrange the alphabet, I would put you, you and I together. together. <laughs> you know, that's dumb and people would just be like, ugh. You know, one of the suggestions that I actually give to my students is to try to find something you have in common with the person you're trying to flirt with. And so, in fact, the reason why people talk about the weather so much, it's like, well, can you believe all this rain? Or, whoo, it's hot today, right? It's because they don't know anything else about this person that they just met, but it's hot for both of them, right? Yeah, rain's coming down on both of them. See, I never really thought about it like that. Right. So, right, like, why do they? With that? Yeah, why do they talk about the weather? Because that's all they know. What I also say is that, you know, for a lot of people, jewelry often actually has some very personal meaning, whether it be a birthday gift or that it really reflects their taste, or maybe it was a souvenir from a vacation or something. So, you can compliment them on that. You know, and say, is there a story behind that, right? You know, and so that could actually start a conversation. And in terms of flirting, a lot of people are so afraid of silence that they just fill the space, right, by talking about themselves. When in fact, actually, you should talk about the most interesting thing to your prospective date, which is not you, but them. Yeah. And people like hearing about, about themselves. Them. Yeah, or being asked questions about them. And then genuinely to pay attention to their answers, right? And to ask follow-up questions. And so, um, yeah, but, you know, one of the things that may be hard to distinguish is whether your flirting is welcomed or not, right? So one of the programs that I teach in sixth and seventh grade is, you know, are you flirting or are you hurting, right? You mm. know, it's like, how, how do you know if it's welcomed or not? And to be able to read the other person's body language, whether they're leaning in or if they're kind of like not making eye contact at all or if they're kind of closing themselves up like this closed arm or, you know, looking away, turning their body away, 
that means it's not working. Right. <laughs> yeah. And you can't make somebody like you or love you if they don't, you know? Right. So if you don't have a love connection, that's that. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And I recently heard this um, thing from one of my roommates that like, you know, people can try peaches as much as they want, but they, maybe they just don't like peaches. Yeah. And like, that's kind of the same thing with people. Like maybe you just aren't going to connect with this one person, but that doesn't mean that you have to continuously try if it's just not going to work. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with you and nothing wrong with them. It's just that you two just don't blend. Yeah, you just just don't match. Yeah. Also, by the way, in terms of having a conversation piece, I'll tell you from personal experience. Oh, yay. I want to hear more personal experience things. Having a dog. (laughs) Having a dog. People always want to talk to you if you have a dog. You're walking your dog, especially if you have a really cute dog, you know? And they're like, can I pet your dog? What's your dog's name? Yeah. And so... And you know, what's weird is apparently for men, what's really attractive is if they have a baby, right? Then you have all these women who want to come see the baby, but that's always baffling to me because I'm like, wait, but doesn't that mean that he most likely is the father of that baby? Right. I realize that it might show that he has a nurturing side. I think that's what it is. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And that makes them attractive. You know, in fact, actually, one of the the stats that I was reading about online dating, like dating apps where mostly they're going to be judging you by just your picture, your profile picture, is that apparently if straight men pose with their dog, there are more people who like them. That's what I've heard too. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it can be, well, I think there are like kind of gender stereotypes of flirting. Like Mm. there's this expectation that like the man is the person who should, you know, and like, I've heard personally, I feel like I'm the the woman to always go for it first. Um, and uh, I've heard, you know, like, oh, like, that's so bold or like, that's aggressive or like whatever these, you know, words are to describe women um, who are kind of the first people to do that. But I think it is kind of awkward and weird when like you flirt with someone and they are like totally not interested. And it's just like, okay, but it's just like this shot to your ego where you kind of feel like uncomfortable or whatever the case. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, in the past, I guess, men were the only one taking those chances or shots then. Right. Yeah, and so, I mean, it falls back to these gender stereotypes. You know, I've actually had middle schoolers say, oh, I mean, it just doesn't hurt guys as much. Like, they're just used to it. I'm like, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that they're actually... They're just as sensitive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, with practice, you know, you kind of understand, well, you try it. Sometimes it doesn't work out, you know? Right. Yeah. I think that's the thing, too, like, back to the dating apps of, like, men who there have been so many articles where men have said like oh you're so beautiful and then like a woman has kind of like you know agreed and been like yeah I think I am beautiful and then they immediately say like no you're not you slut or like something like it's just this crazy weird thing where it's like oh if a woman is like confident in and if she's not incredibly grateful right like fuck you (laughs) like come on sexting Do you have conversations with your students about that? You just heard Emma Jackson, one of our editors on Sex Ed with DB. I think that's a whole other new territory of digital space where consent is also important and other previous things we've been talking about. So if there's anything to say there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's because by the time that they get their smartphones, they might only be like 11 or 12, you know. And so sometimes they have this online persona where they don't even feel like it's real life. And so they might um, take really sexually provocative pictures of themselves. And I always tell my students, look, do not ever, 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 ever take pictures of your private parts or of yourself naked and don't send them to anybody because once you lose control of that image, you never know who's going to get it, right? And digital things never go away. 
not text, not pictures, especially, right? And it can really affect you lifelong, you know? And even if you're in the context of what you think is uh, a very trusted partner in a good relationship, and it's like, let's make a sex tape, or, you know, send me nude pics, and, you know, you hear about revenge porn, right? You know, about uh, somebody who, after a relationship ends, they are upset and angry about it, and then they want to humiliate their ex, and so they right. post all those things, and it can very, very much damage your reputation, your ability to get a job, you know. Um, and you know, sometimes even they'll send it to like, like their their the person's mom or something like that, right? And so um, it's just it's ammunition, you know. And so it's safest to not actually have those types of pictures or or participate in that. You know, and, and to be able to communicate that to, to kids, like even in puberty class. I mean, I tell 10 and 11 year olds, don't take naked pictures of yourself. Mm -hmm. um, so can you define um, kink? I think kink is very, very broad, right? Now, BDSM specifically is bondage, hold on, <laughs> let me get this straight. Bondage, domination, sadism, and masochism. Yeah, although I feel like that actually kink is often defined as just... Um, unusual or not commonly practiced type of sex acts. I think that maybe normative society thinks that uh, somebody who would be interested in BDSM is um, abnormal, perverted, uh, maybe something's wrong with them, or they might actually start to psychoanalyze them and say, well, they must have been abused or something, uh, or they're right, they're trying to work out something, you know, but it, it's just another type of sexual expression. Many people keep it kind of secret anyways, right, from, say, coworkers or their community at large, uh, you know, and for some people, actually, that secretive element might add to it, right? And so, you know, just, you know, for some people actually that kind of sneaking around and just reserving this just for themselves and, and this smaller group of people could add to the pleasure. And for others, they feel very pressured to keep it a secret because they might think that if it were revealed, it might affect their reputation or, you know, uh, what would people at church think, you know, or whatever it may be. Welcome to episode six, Kink and Flirting. Episode six. We Here made we it. Remember, this is Aaron Steinfeld, an educator and activist who teaches youth in Oakland about healthy relationships and how to prevent abusive ones. What do you like about flirting? What are ways that you flirt? Is flirting consensual all of the time? Etc. Um, flirting is really scary for me. I think that for a lot of queer and trans people, flirting is inherently risky. Um, I've definitely flirted with people who just by the act of having a queer person flirt with them, they ended up being violent with me because they, they were like, Oh, this person thinks I'm queer and like, that's a bad thing. And I'm definitely not queer. And how could this person think that? And so, you know, I've definitely experienced a lot of negative side effects of flirting with the wrong people. Um, and that sort of makes me cautious about flirting more generally speaking. Um, and it's, you know, especially around, uh, being a trans person, I think there's this myth that trans people are out to deceive you and like get you in the bedroom and then like take off their pants and what you see isn't what you expected, but you're going to have to be okay with it. Um, and like trans people aren't out to like fuck with anyone. Um, generally they're out to 
have fun with people they want to have fun with. And sometimes that involves having a conversation about body parts. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, I think flirting, you know, can be consensual, hopefully is, isn't always. I've definitely been flirted with people who I've verbally told stop flirting with me or stop playing with my hair or stop touching me who continue to do those things um, after I've told them not to. And one of the ways that I have recently learned, like I'm always trying to think of consensual frameworks to engage with things across the gamut of experiences from sexual to non-sexual. But this idea of express, invite, offer. Um, And so I think one way of consensually flirting could be first express. So expressing a desire. Um, If we're using like going out to pizza as the analogy, like I like pizza, right? That's how you express that desire. The second one, inviting consent. Uh, Step two. So step one, I like pizza. Step two, inviting consent. Do you want to go to pizza with me? Three, offering a way out. So we've said, I like pizza. Do you want to go to pizza with me? If not, we can still do whatever we're doing already. Like if it's just two people having a conversation, we can still keep talking. Or if it's two young people who go to the same school, will you go to pizza with me? If not, like I'll see you in school. No worries. Um, I, I think that people have a really hard time, again, uh, saying what they want, especially if what they want is in opposition to what someone else wants. Um, and so that offering a way out while we're flirting helps to m- keep it consensual and helps to keep it in this like fun, sexy realm as opposed to this like creepy, violate thing. Last thing um, is, can you tell me about a story in which flirting did go well, like for both parties? Like, what does it feel like to you? Like, what did you do? What did the other person do that like felt really good? Um, TBH, most of my recent flirting has been online. Um, I think that online flirting has been really huge for me in the way of being able to flirt with someone in a way that they can totally opt out of. Like most dating apps, you can just block someone if you don't want to keep talking with them. So the other person can totally opt out. I can come out to whatever degrees I want to come out. Um, without fear of physical repercussions because this person is like however many miles away on their phone. So what is your understanding of kink and where does that come into play with your sex education? Funny you should ask. Um, So the definition, so again, I I do dating and and domestic violence prevention work. Um, And an important part of that is defining what partner abuse looks like. Um, And the definition that we use comes from an organization called La Red, which means the network in Spanish. Um, Their website is tnlr.org. And their definition for abuse is uh, a systematic pattern of behaviors where one partner is unconsensually using power to control the thoughts, beliefs, feelings, or actions of of their dating partner. Um... And so, you know, I was having this conversation once with a group of kids that this is unconsensual power dynamics. And a young person once raised their hand and said, what does consensual power look like in relationships? And I was like, are you asking me about what I think you're asking me about? And they were like, yes. 
Um, so I was like, okay, you're, you know, my philosophy is if you ask the question, you deserve an age appropriate answer. So we're going to talk about ways to do kink safely. Um, I believe that kink and things like BDSM are anything where someone is, uh, consensually using power, um, or control in a way that feels good for both parties, um, and feels like engaging for both parties. Uh, a lot of that a lot of what happens in, in the kink community um, is talked about with language around scenes. Um, and, you know, we're going to do this scene where this happens. Um, and then outside that scene, power play doesn't happen. Um, and if it does happen, it's generally thought of as unconsensual, unless it's, you know, it is consensual. But um, I think one of the main differences between kink and BDSM and partner abuse is the consent piece, is the conversation that happens. Is role-playing part of kink, even if there are no tools? Um, I think it can. I think it can. I think that, like, people can have different kinks or fetishes that are, like, associated with um, locations, like physical locations. Like, someone can be really into outdoor sex, and that can be their kink. Um, Someone can be really into, like bathroom sex or like you know location based or be really into certain body parts and have fetishes around certain body parts um i think yeah i think there there can definitely be kink and bdsm at play um without any physical objects involved do you have any kinks that you'd be comfortable sharing i'm not i i so in the in the majority of my life i do have I like to have control over what I'm doing um and in the bedroom I think potentially because I like control so often in other parts of my life um I like the other person to take more control in the bedroom um and that comes out in different ways and looks different depending on how I'm feeling and what the sex I want to have in that moment is and who I'm having sex with um but it does feel fun for me when someone else can sort of like take the reins on it a little bit. Um, And of course, never engaging in that without a conversation first. One of my editors, Emma, and I were trying to figure out the difference between a kink and a fetish, and we got a little confused. So we decided to call Good Vibrations over the phone to get some answers. A fetish is something that describes something that people need to get off, and a kink would refer to sexual preferences that aren't necessarily normative. So it's going to depend on the person. For one person, it might be a kink. For the other, it might be a fetish. For example, you've heard of a foot fetish, and maybe another fetish would be being handcuffed during sex, whereas a kink for someone could be BDSM or ear biting. Hello. Hey. <laughs> Long time no see. I know. It's been a forever. Oh my God. Remember, this is Pristine Shin, an educator and activist living in Oakland. Um, great to be here. Great to have you here. Kink and flirting is our last topic. Hot. Super super hot. What is the most fun thing you like to do when you're trying to get your flirt on? Danielle. Yeah. Am I oh making you blush? Save this for last. I know, yeah. Wow. You just want me to share all my secrets with I the kinda, world? I kind of, yeah. Damn. Tell everyone. The playbook. No. Um, 
It's funny. I definitely like this is definitely a line that like I it's not even a line, but it's just like a thing that I talk with like when people like I had like, this one uh, really dear friend who like sort of had a crush on one of our other friends, but like didn't know if he was queer or other things or like wanted it, whatever. And like they share intimate moments or whatever things. And this one friend was like super self-conscious and like really thinking about a lot and like kind of gets like really in their head. And I was like, you should just, and I've told this to so many friends and so many people. And it's just like a, like, it's just like a very easy solution a lot of the time around like, it's like, it's always fun to hear like that somebody's attracted to you, right? Like that's never a bad thing, right? I mean, I don't know. I don't know if that's ever a bad thing, but like the line around being like, like, can I tell you something like one and then two being like, look, like, at, like nothing has to happen. I feel completely okay with nothing happening. And I want to let you know that because I feel like pressure and weird things can get involved. Um, but I do feel this way. And if you had any feelings in that regard, like I would love to like explore that with you. And if not, like it's totally okay. And I like love being your friend and continue. So like no pressure, no pressure, no pressure, no pressure. You're really hot. No pressure. What's up? You know. <laughs> <laughs> so most recently at the strip club. Yes. Right? In Vegas. In Vegas. Uh, I have this friend who is so wonderful and I think is so cool and like is so talented and like pretty much most, if not all my friends are just like really hot. Um, and like they have a partner and, and I'm like not trying to do anything sort of serious, but like enjoy affirming people and also like enjoy. Yeah. Like we've on, uh, like on certain substances have like had really sweet moments of just like affirming like what we really love about each other and just for the sake of doing that. And that's really fun and good. And so we were sh sitting next to each other as this, a uh, very talented person was, um, shaking their ass. And, I, <laughs> I, I think I, th I, I think I might have just like we like had a sweet moment of just like being excited to be in a certain place together, and I think I might have said something like blank insert person's name here. I was like like I was like what if I wanted to kiss you? Um, and they were like you, and, and I was like in general, like in general, generally speaking, like no worries about right now, like in general, right? And she was like, let's do it right now, and I was just like, oh. Okay, sure, cool, yeah, great, totally, for sure. <laughs> We're a little busy right now, but like, okay, cool, yeah. Um, and it was really sweet, yeah. BDSM, do you like it? What does it mean to you? <laughs> Tell me all your feelings. Um, I think I think power play is fun. I think it like I've like only explored like aspects of it. I'm definitely not a pro in any sort of respect. Um, like choking is fun like power play in the sense of like telling somebody what to do whether it's like really intense and like really intentional or whether it like comes out in certain ways and there's a positive reaction and that gets exciting um yeah perfect Hello, welcome to episode six. Yay! Already jumped right ahead. <laughs> wow, good. I like that. Remember, this is Ingrid Ochoa, an undergraduate coordinator and health education lecturer at SF State. What are some of your favorite um, kinds of flirting practices? So, oh, my favorite yeah. flirting practices? Personally. Okay, um, 
I am a big time flirter. I am. I love to flirt. I have to admit. admit I, I'll admit it. I love to flirt. I like to make people feel good about themselves. That's why I like to flirt. And there's always these little innocent flirts. And uh, and I think it just matches my personality too. Uh but I also am very careful about body language. And I think that's also like um, just to kind of there's flirting is so complex. And what's very important is really understanding and really paying attention to the other person that you're flirting with. You know, uh, also understand the sociological, pedagogical ways of how people interact. Also, gender roles come in play. That's always those are always things that you should always keep in mind. Uh because I would only flirt with somebody that I know would be responsive. I want that person to feel good. I want them to feel special. I want them to feel beautiful. And and if I don't see that on like, you know, on their facial expression, I stop. And that's also it's because I understand. I don't like if I start seeing the person feeling uncomfortable, feeling kind of like, uh, no, they do not like it. That is now that's already edging on harassment. And that is where I see a lot of people don't they don't pay attention and they'll continue and go on and on and on. And that is when it's considered abuse, you know? And, and I'm very, and I guess that's the thing. Like first, I always like to tell people when you're flirting, yeah, it's great and wonderful, but understand the psychology of it. Totally. Be- because, um, cause that's where cat calling comes into yes. play and those kinds of things where some, I'm just going to say men because every time personally I as a woman have been catcalled, it's been by a man. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I never asked for that attention. Not once, not twice, Mm -hmm. not three times. Um, So I totally understand what Mm -hmm. you're saying. And so, um, but the thing is, it's like when it's done. So I think it's also what's important is the intent. What is the intent of flirting? You know, if it's about making somebody feel good and important and uh, and like they're increased their self-worth then yeah, why not? You know, and so I tend to like to do fun flirting. That's my, for me, I like to do fun flirting with everybody. I I really do. I I do it to anybody, really. And just even smiling or I'll compliment. I really do. Anywhere I go, I'll always be like, oh, I like that. Oh my gosh, where did you get that? Or or like, you know, coming in, it's like, oh my gosh, I love your shoes. Oh my God, I love your shoes. I love docs. I'm like, yeah, they look good. You know, just little things like that because then you see the smile and I'm like, I did it. I got it because... In the end of the day, it's like just having one something like, you know, it, it, it helps, you know, kind of like how you feel about yourself or, you know, you'll always, you know, it, like I like to create a little like ripple in someone's like happy life in a way, you know. And so and then, yeah, then I'll go to the next stage. And if I really like like the person, then then uh, then, yeah, then I do a little bit more of the sexual flirting, more of, you know, and then also touch is, that's where like the, the, the touch comes in, you know, uh, you touch the shoulder or you touch the hand or just that kind of gesture, you know, that that's like, okay, that person's interested or something, you know, like they touched me. You're like, oh my God, that person touched me. You know, you're like, yes, either yes. Or you'd be like, oh yeah, no. And then you make sure that you make sure like, yeah, you know what? You crossed the line there. No, no, no. You know? So anyway, um, but that's where I kind of go, and I always really like to like feel out the person. Before, you mentioned that you're a part of the kink community, and you've taught workshops on sex toys. Can you just talk about who you are in that community or how you became a part of it and um, why you like to be involved? It's not like being in the community, it's not always like it's not like you wear a sign and say, I'm in the community, you know? Uh, and it, it really, anybody, it, it, there's no like cookie cutter of 
what a person is if you're into kink, what a person looks like. It's regular people. And I think that's why sometimes there's this um, um, stigmatized people are stigmatized in terms of what does a what does BDSM look like, you know, um, or being in the kink community. Uh, but it, but physically, me being a part of the community, I would say I started maybe uh, more like in what, 2013, 2012. I've always been interested in the community or interested in BDSM. Be, and what really led me to even want to learn more was when I was really teaching. But because of the needs that the students were asking me and wanting and asking questions of certain things, it made me kind of like, I need to grow and learn more. So I started expanding my knowledge in sexuality currently while I was teaching. And because of that grew my interests, if that makes sense. And also me even learning a lot about my own sexuality. So it, it, it's kind of like very fluid. It's not like, oh yeah, I started then. It was more of like, oh, I was already a part of it, but I just didn't know that that's what I was in. So it was very kind of flowy in a way of my learning and experimenting and reading and it was for me I needed to like absorb it because I'm like how can and then I felt in a way it was kind of like killing two birds with one stone because I was like well I have to experiment in order to be able to educate and so I was like cool because then I could always say you know back of my mind I'd be like if somebody saw me or a student saw me I'm like it's a project you know I mean I was kind of you know I always felt like oh I'm in a safe zone because I can say hey I am a sex educator so I can anything goes. anything goes like I'm as long this. as it's consensual exactly so in a way I felt like hey that's good because I'm protecting myself because also I did understand like how the how people view people sometimes and I didn't want that stigma I didn't want like uh, I didn't want to have like this this um like this kind of like the scarlet letter in a way of like oh you are this you're hardcore and and it's like and then me having to explain it's not and and to kind of like, well, what does it mean? So I didn't define what BDSM. But you didn't ask me what it was. You, I, just that, I was one of the that was one of the questions. Yeah. Just, so okay. So the first thing is first defining it. Okay. So uh, BD, you have, you have bondage and discipline. You have the D and the M dominant. I mean, um, the D and the S is dominant and submission. And then um, then you have the S and M, which is sadomasochism. It's, and it's all lumped together because there's so many practices and so many things that can happen in between. So that's why they have it as BDSM all in all in one. And the thing is it, it's in a spectrum. It can be from like um, and kink is usually used as a colloquial term of identifying everything because it's like uh, is that is there is that different than BDSM? It's no, just think of like kink as like an umbrella, more of like a term that people kind of use. But BDSM is more of like the the terms and more of like the putting it all together in a lump form. But it can be from tickling to using a feather to the other extreme, maybe edge play or sophisticated, you know, where or when you're um, like using needle play or knife play or like blood play or or your breath play. Like it can be. From like from one spectrum to the other, and there's a lot of things in between. So it's just kind of lumping it all together, and it's really about your preference. And like some of the some of like the myths too, are like oh BDSM has to do about sex. No, it does not have to do about. It doesn't have to be about sex at all whatsoever. It it can be its separate entity. And like I always like to like when I tell like um I like to describe, I like to describe that as like. Like an example is like massage. 
you know, when you get a massage, it feels so good. Your endorphins are being released. Your body feels warm and you feel like all nice and relaxed and you're like, "Ah, you can breathe. Right. But do you have sex? No. But, you know, it feels good. Right. Right. It's kind of I like using massage as an example because it's kind of like the same thing as BDSM. You know, so like and sometimes if you're in an intimate relationship and you're doing a massage, it might can might lead to sex. So that's just kind of like a good example that you can say that, you know, BDSM, it doesn't necessarily have to lead to sex and doesn't mean that you're having. And what I mean about sex, I'm defining sex as that penetrative sex because sex can mean so many things. But I mean, I'm talking about penetrative sex. And so. It doesn't mean that like you can have contracts or separate like different uh, things like you talk to your to the person that you're that you're going to have um, set up a play time that you can have. Like, for instance, I do have some I have some cubs and to define what a cub is, is someone who is a lot younger than me, uh, maybe about 12 plus younger years than me. And so it's my cub my little one. Okay. Young so, one. My young one, you know, and, uh, and so you can have, so like with my cubs, I don't have sex and penetrative sex. However, the, that what we have, the agreement that we have though, we do have, uh, eroticness. Like, is that a word? No, I don't know if that's a word, but we'll take it. We'll take it. We'll take it. Remember my English. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, we have our own way of like where I do get my release, uh, but it's not, it's just a little different. You know, I do go through the same process of feeling of orgasming. I do. I don't need to actually have penetrative sex to orgasm. So, and that is my relationship. I actually with don't orgasm from penetrative sex. And I feel like a lot yeah, of women and a lot of women not. do not. And that's also like a misconception that people feel that you women sometimes I always have to educate like to say, they're like, oh, I can't come in penetrative sex. I'm like, you know, only 10% do. And it's actually, it's all about clitoral stimulation. Right. It That is actually the majority of why you uh, um, would have um, experienced an orgasm, you know. And, but like, sometimes it's just the idea that you can, like, I can actually, I can think about it. I can be eroticized in other ways to still orgasm. And so, and that, and so that's just your, what you have maybe with one cub or, or your partner. I just, I like to call them my cubs. They have their names that I give them, uh-huh. you know, um, I am their dom. So their dom is the person, um, I'm, uh, that I am in charge. I guess you can say the submissive is the one who pays attention to me, who, who follows my rules, uh, and you have the submissive who obviously is like who follows the rules. And also sometimes you can play both both ways. You Sometimes you hear a dominant, a submissive, or a top and a bottom. The top can be also a representation of a dominant person. Or also it could also represent being a sadist. So a sadist meaning someone who enjoys um, enjoys giving pain or humiliating. And uh, and then a submissive, it could also, also can be considered a, a bottom, could be... Also, like, uh, could be a masochist, enjoy, enjoying being, being, um, in receiving pain and, uh, or being humiliated or humiliated. So those are some kind of like the defining roles, but there's sometimes you can play both roles. Like, so for instance, I identify as being a switch. So I'm a dominant and a submissive, but it does depend on the partners that I play with. And so it, the thing was, is that when I started to learn more about it and really experiment, it really, I have to say that it, that is what made me be more open about who I am and what I like, and also to take more control of it, of myself. And that is, I have to say, I, maybe I could maybe attribute 
BDSM is saving me, really, because I got to distinguish a lot. Like, you really have to know what is it that you like, what you don't like, and being able to communicate that. And a lot of the times, like, even in your relationships, you don't sometimes the main thing is like, how do you talk about it? How do you talk about what you like to your to your partner? Or how do you bring it up? And I'll tell you, like being in the community really helped me figure that out. It made me feel like and that it's okay to be like, well, you know, this is what you like. Perfect. Okay. What don't you not like? What are your hard limits? And I'm like, well, you know what? I cannot do stat. I'm scat. I'm like, I'm sorry. I do not like shit. Do not shit on me. I don't want to touch shit, you know, you know, but I'm like, okay, and not being laughed at you know it's like they're like okay what else don't you not like you know I'm like oh okay well I don't like canes canes hurt that's a motherfucking that fucking hurts I'm like do not cane me however I do I go you know what I'm curious about whips I'm curious about flogging how does that feel is spanking you know what I'm curious about that so it was more of letting me like be more talk about about it and not be ashamed of it and that's what I really liked about the community because I didn't feel embarrassed I didn't feel that it was negative that it was bad so and then because of that I have to say that it made me be more open with uh, my students and I really like I ended up doing this um, I had this exercise that uh, that it really became like I still talk to a lot of my students like I mean they've already graduated and I have some of that are like really good friends of mine because it's like you build this this safe zone and this sense of community that that uh, that you're just being being able to express yourself and being able to be free and also real makes a huge difference because when you meet people sometimes you're like are you like you know sometimes people are so fake and then it's like how and and that's for me it's like you know I want people who are gonna be real I'm gonna be and I and if the only way it's like I'm gonna be real. I'm going to be real, you know, and it's, and you and, feel like this community is like and, a genuine community. And it's a community. genuine community. I feel that, you know, I've, they, um, they're, I have never, every time I've gone to like uh, times that I've gone to like a dungeon, you know, there, um, could you define so, that? De- so, so the thing is, is that there are parties that you can go to, like where you play parties, um, and like scenes that you can have, you know, it's like, you're not, uh, you, and there are places like in the city that you can go to. Uh, and one of the places called the Citadel that, um, that you can go and, and the thing is like, sometimes it's like, Oh, is there alcohol? No. Hardcore, like place that is considered a dungeon. There's no alcohol. You cannot be intoxicated when you go, uh, because there are standards and there's rules. Safety is number one, you know? And, uh, and so you go in and also too, like you have like a locker if you want to put your clothes, if you want to change or something, because sometimes like you can't wear, if you want to change and have different clothing, you can't do that. Like it would be hard to be like in a certain way, say you're wearing, you're wearing leather or just a corset or just, or just a uh, leather harness. You, you kind of want to be covered, but if you bring a jacket, you can go inside, there's a locker, you can put it in there and you have a social area where you can talk and there's like snacks you can bring and you can, Hey, you know, say, Oh my gosh, I haven't seen you for a long time. And da-da, you can talk if you already have like a, a, a person that you're playing with, you know, you, that's where you can kind of like have that conversation. Cause you do need to have a conversation first of like okay if you uh what what is the scene going to look like and and then you have the play area 
and there is rules there like no no photography you know you can't be recording you need to have um, consent because you can watch but don't interrupt don't yell because there are people are you sometimes there are scenes in each area and you have to respect that and you don't want to interrupt and sometimes too because people are when you're in a play uh, when you're either in a play or in a scene there is a this connection that you have with your partner that you are playing with and you can be going through a lot of it's like it's very emotional it can be very emotional and uh it's different for everybody but there's rules you know and you buy by the rules and then and so and then there's a so kind of like it's a place that you can you don't have to participate you can just observe there is an area that you can see and you can like meet people and uh and it's like not like and it's some people like is it creepy i'm like no it's not creepy at all and can you give an example of a scene so like okay one scene uh you can see multiple scenes in one room and so one side could be where there's a person is being suspended in uh and they first they start off by like having the ritual of of doing um bondage tidying um like doing certain knots and then they get suspended and so you can see the whole process from the beginning to the end and then even aftercare and the aftercare is after everything because you have to realize that when you're getting if you're being tied up and being suspended you have to also think physically what is happening to your body you know so you have the blood it, depending if you're if you're like blood rushing through your body not like I'm sorry I have <laughs> not to like, outside, not of outside the body. your body not like you're getting cut and it's pouring out no no it's the rush that you get right and so then but you definitely see the intensity between because I do I'm a voyeur I enjoy watching uh I have a that's one of my kinks is I really enjoy watching so seeing the, for me it has a lot to do with the intensity of the of the communication that you see of the two people Last topic. Okay. Episode six. Okay. Kink and flirting. <laughs> okay. Remember, this is Rebecca Levy, my mother, and an OBGYN, a mother of three who runs her own private practice in Napa with over 2,000 patients. In terms of how you grew up and like how you like attracted people, what were some of your favorite ways to flirt with people? Wow, now we're going back a lot of years. I don't think I've flirted with anyone in a really long time. Um, I relied probably 100% on my eyes because... Because they're pretty and green. Well, I had the experience of going into bars or wherever discos. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm old. I'm old, people. Um, <laughs> you know, and just pretty much... All I had to really do is kind of sit there and someone would come up to me. Someone would come up to me and go, you have really pretty eyes. Okay. So people would just like come up to you and be like, you have really beautiful green eyes. Let's dance at this discotheque. (laughs) And that was your way of flirting. More or less. Let's talk about kink. Um, What's your like idea of the definition of kink and like the BDSM community? Wow. I don't really think I think about it enough to form an opinion other than you know my my general opinion of things in uh, in that category or if it's something that's mutually consensual and satisfying 
who am I to say anything about it? I, who is anybody to say anything about it? I think that it's, it's okay if that's what people want. I do have to say that one of the things that I recommend to patients who are wondering how to uh, get some excitement back into their relationship. Do they ask about that? Yeah. I mean, you know. Not specifically about BDSM, but just more no, so in general, getting like the hotness up. Yeah, exactly. And, Turning you know. the heat. Yeah. I, I think it's okay for people to watch things that might be something that might get them in the mood or might like relight, or might relight a fire or, you know get them more interested in their partner or something like that i don't think there's anything wrong with that porn has come up quite a bit in this podcast with other voices because i think the general idea of it is like some of it is like really great and shows different body types and shows uh the pleasure of women and shows a lot of like great things and a majority of it is pretty unrealistic pretty heteronormative pretty um gross for lack of a better term well i think a a big problem with it is that a lot of it sets women up for really unrealistic expectations about what sex really is and men both true but i think i think the people who who come out worse in the deal are women because you know women see women in those movies thinking like that's the kind of pleasure everyone should be getting from that kind of sex and i'm not getting it Mm. And they kind of spend a lot of time thinking that something's wrong with them because they're not getting it. I get a lot of questions about about whether or not it's normal that people don't have an orgasm when they have intercourse. And it's completely normal. I mean, so, but looking at those movies, you would never think anybody doesn't. So. What's your definition of sex? Because hmm. it's not just like penetrative sex like other types i think that's a common misconception oh yeah i think anything that falls in the definition of you know being together for some type of a pleasurable relationship could meet that definition in many different ways including things with hands including oral including and for people to say i didn't have sex because they didn't have intercourse is really a, a mistake What do you think about the consent piece that has to happen in BDSM culture and making sure that everyone's on the same page? Um, What do you think about like common narratives like Fifty Shades of Grey and like that kind of like, like millions and millions of people like read that erotic um, and including myself, like I read it um, and I do. What did you think of it? Ultimately, I think it's harmful um, because it didn't really, it did not show like a healthy BDSM relationship. It was pretty manipulative. It wasn't wasn't mutual. No. I don't think. No. Looking at that. Yeah. Mm. So like, what do you, what do you think about the consent piece in BDSM culture that you know of? I just think like in anything else, it, it absolutely has to be clear that it is something consensual because I think in that culture it might be a little bit harder to 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 tease out the exact idea of consent, you know. So it really has to be very clearly stated at the beginning, I think, before anything happens. So there's an awesome book that came out in 2012 about this stuff. I haven't read it yet, but five out of five stars on Amazon is nothing to joke about. 
It's called Playing Well with Others, your field guide to discovering, exploring, and navigating the kink, leather, and BDSM communities by Lee Harrington and Melina Williams. It's a book that explains kink culture, kink lifestyle, and the larger kink community. Thank you so much to all of our Kickstarter backers for supporting Sex Ed with DB. We got Lauren Mead, Safina McCly, Alexandra Pertz, Morgan McDonald, Pendu Rudrajaja, Brian Wang, Dan Fippen, Julia Springer, Brittany Hansen, Miriam Moses, Leo Mako, John Chikowski, Mia Ravazio, Jamie W., David Hilty, Aaron Beitch, Jacob Bezalel, Jason Bellett, Maddie Cousins, S. Bruegel, Molly Garretson, Judy Stern, Alice Fishman, Jason Boxer, Molly Edwards, Sachi Ewan, Howie Sherman, Aaron Steinfeld, and Lisa Fireman. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Sex Ed with DB. If you want to engage with more of our sex ed content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and check us out on our website, sexedwithdb.tumblr.com. We would love to hear from you. Email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com for questions, comments, and suggestions for our episodes to come. What are your best flirting practices? Email your moves to us and maybe we can shout them out in season two. Our creator, host, and producer is Danielle Bezalow, a.k.a. DB. Our content writers and editors are Danielle Bezalow, Aaron Steinfeld, and Rachel Upton. Our graphic illustrator is Jessica Lynn. Our social media and marketing lead is Kat Lestufka. Our sound editor for this episode is Leah Tridler. The title of our intro music is So Low by Art of Escapism, and our outro music is by my stepdad, Bill Gant. Thank you to our featured voices and our listeners. Tune in next time.